Our lives are full of interruptions. Every day we experience interruptions of one sort or another. And very often we think of these interruptions as a negative thing. Perhaps you're talking to someone, you're trying to explain what's on your heart, and they interrupt you. They don't let you get the words out. It's a frustrating experience. Or perhaps you're in a meeting, an important meeting of some sort, and then the cell phone goes off. Everyone looks around to see who's ringing. Uh, You always can tell because whoever is ringing is patting furiously to find out where that phone is and try to turn it off. Or perhaps it's the middle of the night and your sleep is interrupted. You hear uh, the cry of a child. You wake up with particular worries or concerns and your sleep is interrupted. Our lives are full of interruptions and normally we think of them as negative things. There are, of course, positive interruptions. We call these a welcome interruption. Uh, The most welcome interruption I ever received uh, happened the weekend of my 30th birthday uh, earlier this year. Uh, I got home, it was a Friday, and it had been a long week, and I was lying on the couch, and I I was a little grumpy, let's put it that way. And you can always tell when dad is grumpy because dad is on the couch and there aren't any children to be seen. They're all playing in the basement. And uh, I was lying there <clears throat> feeling grumpy about whatever it was I was feeling grumpy about uh, that night. And um, uh, the, we started ringing and it was a, a FaceTime call. So I, I answered this FaceTime call on, on our iPad. And I answered and it was my mum who was FaceTiming. And uh, I was a little surprised because it was about 8 o'clock at night and that makes it about 1 o'clock in the morning, her time. And, you know, I was like, Mom, why, why are you up at 1 in the morning? And then I was even more confused because it was pitch black outside. And I was thinking, you know, Mom, why are you outside at 1 in the morning? This is not the mom I know, all right? You should be at home in bed. Uh, what's happening here? And we spoke away for a little while and that was all well and good. And then a really confusing thing happened. As I was talking to my mother... Appearing in her screen beside her face was my eldest daughter, Mia. And I was so confused. (laughs) And my first thought was actually, you know, I had dinner with Mia. But my first thought was, how did she get to Scotland? (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a total illogical moment of confusion. Um, And then other children started appearing. And then I started to hear a rumpus in the basement. And in came my mother through our back door, up the stairs, into the living room. Surprising me uh, for uh, my birthday. A very, very welcome interruption. Sometimes interruptions are positive things. And our text this morning gives us such an interruption. A positive interruption. A welcome interruption interruption, a gospel interruption that is designed to come and stop us in the midst of our busyness, stop us amidst this hectic season, stop us in our tracks and say, there's a word for you. There is a gospel for you, a gospel that I need and a gospel that you need, an interruption from the Lord. We're going to look at this interruption by marching straight through our text from verse 8 to verse 14, old school at Bible study this morning. We're going to see two categories. We're going to see the scene of the interruption, and then we're going to see the gospel interruption itself. The scene of the interruption, and then the gospel interruption itself. First of all, then, let's look at the scene, verses 8 and 9. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Four things to draw from these verses to set the scene for the gospel interruption that is coming. First of all, note that the gospel interruption comes to 
very ordinary people. The gospel interruption comes to very ordinary people. Who does it come to? It comes to shepherds out in their field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. This interruption doesn't come to kings or to presidents. It doesn't come to the religious. It doesn't come to the important expected people. Instead, it comes to normal people. It comes to the shepherds who are the average Joe and Jane of their day. They are the average man and woman on the street. They are your everyday citizen. This is who the good news comes to. If you feel ordinary this morning, know that the gospel comes to ordinary people. It comes to people like me, and it comes to people like you. First of all, the gospel comes to ordinary people. The second thing we see to set the scene is that the gospel comes to unworthy people. The gospel comes to ordinary people, but also to unworthy people. Understand that in coming to the shepherds, the interruption comes to quite a disreputable group of people. Their work, on one hand, was was nasty and dirty and uh, smelly. If you have ever been to a farm, you know that this is true. Uh, The work of a shepherd was hard, difficult, dangerous work, and it was uh, not the sort of nice, uh, clean, uh, middle-class employment of the day. But more than that, they were also uh, frowned upon because their employment prevented them from uh, following the rules and regulations of the Jewish law at that time. Uh, Their employment prevented them from offering the necessary sacrifices, from attending worship at the correct times, from going through the uh, ritual cleanliness code, and so on. They were uh, people who were despised because they were unable to uh, meet the religious standards of the day, shunned by their community. Understand that if the angels came today, they would not come to McLean Presbyterian Church. They would not come to your small group. They would not come to your Bible study. They would come to the shunned shepherds. Jesus came to the poor prostitutes. It would come to those marginalized misfits of our day. To people who are unworthy. To people like me. To people like you. People who in ourselves have nothing to offer God. This is to whom the gospel comes. Ordinary people unworthy people. Thirdly, we see that the gospel comes on a decidedly average day. There is nothing particularly important or impressive about this day. We read that the shepherds are keeping watch over their flock by night. So they're keeping watch, doing hard, dirty, dangerous work of a shepherd. They're doing so by night, so it is dark and it is cold. Now, this scene is in some way hard for me. I'm an incurable city kid for me to wrap my hands around in the sense that uh, you know, I grew up in the city centre, and Reston is the most rural place I've ever lived. So um, <laughs> this is not a scene that is natural to me. I, I remember actually walking... My, my grandparents lived in Skye, and I was uh, staying with them. They live in a croft, and I was walking home one night and walking past this field, and a sheep had got its head caught in the square fencing. And I, I kind of looked at the sheep, and the sheep looked back at me with these massive googly eyes, and I kind of imagined a conversation in my head where the sheep was kind of like, well, I'm glad you're here, I need help. And I was like, I don't know how to help you. I am a city kid. This is beyond my pay grade. So uh, I walked home, and my grandfather, who used to be a farmer, came, and we got some pliers and unclipped the sheep and let it go in its way. Uh, but I am, I am not a city kid who is familiar with this sort of pastoral scene. Um, But this was a very normal scene for them. 
For them, this was like they got up, they went to the office, they made a cup of coffee, and they answered some email. That's the scene uh, that's being painted for us. A normal day, an average day. The gospel comes to us when we're not expecting it. The gospel comes to us when we're not necessarily anticipating changes. The gospel comes to us when we're not even looking necessarily for some sort of religious experience. The gospel comes to us, ordinary people, unworthy people, on average days. Days, dare I say, like today. Days like today. Fourthly and finally, we see that the gospel comes with a dramatic swiftness. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. First of all, this angel appears. And understand that this is not the image we normally have in mind when we think of an angel. It is not this light, puffy, puny, serenely smiling creature that floats in to bring sort of, um, give everyone a cuddle. Um, angels are described in the scripture as, as powerful creatures, as powerful beings. In Isaiah chapter 6, when we read of the seraphs, we read that at their voice, an earthquake breaks out. So powerful are they that the foundations of the temple shake as they speak. In the book of Revelation, we read that an angel appears and John falls down to worship him. So taken aback is he by the power and the splendor of this creature. It's hard to imagine something so powerful that it would have that effect on you. But what could come into this sanctuary right now and so overwhelm you that you would feel the need to fall down and worship it? Well, that's what appeared to the shepherds. It appeared, the phrase appeared here, literally means it stood in front of, which I think is, is great because the shepherds are about their normal day, about their normal work, when all of a sudden there's an angel in their faces standing right in front of them, uh, taken aback by this glory. What happens next? The glory of the Lord shines around them. Think of the, the scene. The, we know that this took place at night, so the thick darkness of night is suddenly penetrated by this blinding glory. I remember being at uh, Ruby Falls, which is a deep cave just outside of uh, Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. And uh, you wander down to the cave, and it's a fun experience, and you see all the stalactites and all the stalagmites, and never remember which one's which, and sort of enjoy that educational experience. And then halfway through, uh, they take you to the deepest part of the cave, and they turn off the lights that they put there. And this darkness envelops you. It's darkness like I've never experienced before. Dark, you know, there, there's no natural light whatsoever, and it's a darkness so thick that you literally can't see your hand in front of your face. And they leave the lights off just long enough to make you nervous. You know? Just long enough to, oh, okay, it's time, it's time. And then they flash them back on. And the moment those lights come on, there's this brilliance that just blinds you. You've longed for the light, the light comes, and you close your eyes. You close your eyes because it's, it's too much uh, for you to take in. Imagine how much more uh, the blinding glory of the Lord is as it shines around them. And so what happens? The shepherds are filled with fear. Filled with fear. Literally, they feared a great fear. And, and rightly so. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you if you're about in your normal day when this thing came to you? That's the scene of the interruption, the gospel interruption that then comes in verses 10 through 12. Let's look at it together. 
First of all, in verse 10, we get the preface to the interruption. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. Fear not, the angel begins. I can imagine the shepherds looking at one another, thinking, easier said than done. Easier said than done. Fear not. Why should we not fear? The angel continues. Three things he gives us in this verse. First of all, fear not, because I'm bringing good news. The antidote to your fear is in the message that I am about to bring. I bring you good news. I love that phrase because literally it is, it is, I bring you gospel. Fear not because I am bringing the gospel. A gospel that is not designed to make you fear. I am not coming in judgment and terror. I am coming with a good word. A good word for you, ordinary, unworthy people, on you, for you on this average day. Secondly, this good news will bring great joy great joy. You're afraid right now, but in a moment you'll be celebrating. Your fear will give way to joy. I will replace your terror with this joy. And this news will be, thirdly, for all the people. All the people. Who is included in this? Yes, the kings and the presidents, but also normal shepherds like you. Do not be afraid, as I am coming with good news that will bring joy, and it is for you. Then, verse 11, we get the interruption itself. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The interruption simply states that Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Three names that Jesus has given here in this text. Let's look at them quickly together to unpack this interruption. Uh, thirdly and lastly, he is called uh, the Lord, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A savior who is the Lord, meaning a Savior who is God himself. Born this day is no mere human baby. Fully human, yes, but also fully God. This is a staggering claim. One theologian says, you can read every fairy tale that was ever written, every mystery th- thriller, every ghost story, and you will never find anything so shocking, so strange, so weird and spellbinding as the story of the incarnation of the Son of God. Fiction has never made something like this up. Uh, Religions do not make things like this up. That God himself would come and walk amongst us. It is a staggering claim. It is also a unique claim. It is what separates Christianity, one of the things that separates Christianity from the other world religions. Separate to the uh, teachings of the Quran, separate to the insight from Buddha, separate to the wisdom of Confucius, separate to all of those because none of them ever claim that God himself would condescend to walk amongst us. Staggering claim, a unique claim, but also a pivotal claim. A pivotal claim because if you believe in God, if you believe in God, and you believe this verse, that at Christmas God came to earth, then you've got to sense the great urgency that is implied by that. 
if, if God has lived among us, then we're not here to play a game. And we're not here out of tradition or out of ritual. And we're not giving our lives for some vague sense of comfort. We are here because we believe that God himself walked amongst us. And so the claim he lays on our lives is a claim that has authority. And a, a claim that we must respond to with a sense of urgency. It is very illogical to say that we believe God exists, we believe he came to earth, but we're not that bothered about what he had to say when he was here. It just makes no sense. The interruption tells us that Jesus is here and that he is God. Secondly, more briefly, it tells us that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior who is Christ, the Lord. Christ, meaning Messiah, he is the promised one. The one that all history had been waiting for since Eden itself, since Genesis 3.15. We have been waiting for this uh, Christ, this Messiah to come. The one who would deal with our sin. The one who would bring us back into relationship with God. Wait no longer, the angel says. The Christ is here. Then thirdly, we read that he is the Savior. The Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus, God, comes to earth as the promised one to save ordinary, unworthy people on average days. People like me, people like you, from our sin. Sin, again, is such a politically incorrect or unpopular idea in our culture, but really a concept that everyone agrees on. Nobody thinks they're perfect, and we dislike people who think they're perfect. We are a people who have done many things we ought not to have done and have left undone many things we ought to have done. None of us is without regret, without shame, without failure. And these things which separate us from the perfect God can be forgiven because Jesus, the Savior, is here. People who need forgiveness like me and like you. My favorite Christmas illustration comes and begins on August the 5th, 2010, when a cave collapsed at the San Jose copper mine in the Atacama Desert in Chile. Do you remember this? 33 miners were trapped half a mile underground, and you remember the scene that unfolded was nothing short of remarkable. Chilean people and their government went into overdrive as they garnered the greatest resources our planet has to offer in the aid of these buried miners. They gathered the best scientists from NASA and other leading experts in their field to figure out the technical challenges of drilling down through the surface to half a mile underground, to figure out the other challenges of keeping these miners alive until they were able to reach them. The miners themselves, once located, were actually relatively comfortable. And I say relative, you know, as comfortable as you can be trapped half a mile underground in a situation of doom and terror. Um, <laughs> they were uh, sent clothes. They were sent food. They were sent um, resources to, to clean themselves and to wash. They were sent internet capabilities. Our day and age. Hilarious. Um, they were sent the technology to be able to communicate with their families who had gathered at the surface and founded Camp Hope. But they were still underground. Relatively comfortable, perhaps. But still underground. Not knowing whether they would live or die. Trapped and completely unable to rescue themselves. The 
healthiest and the strongest among them was as helpless as the poorest and the weakest among them. You remember in the 69 days that followed, there were many meaningful moments. The moments after 17 days when the miners made contact with the surface. The moment when the rescuers on the surface received that note saying, found alive all 33. The moment when the drill bit first penetrated at the surface and then dug deep to break into the cave. The moment one of the miners proposed to his longtime girlfriend via video phone. I love that the reports all emphasized long time. You can imagine her saying, it's about time, you know? <laughs> this is what it took <laughs> for you to get this done. <laughs> Many meaningful moments throughout the 69-day ordeal. But of course, the single most meaningful moment for the miners, for the loved ones, was that moment when the first rescuer, Manuel Gonzalez, entered the rescue capsule, the Phoenix, and descended half a mile underground, breaking in to the chamber itself. As he appeared and stepped out into the hot, humid air of that cave, do you remember what happened? The miners clapped, and they cheered, and they hugged one another, and they hugged him, and they celebrated. Why? Because they knew we can't save ourselves. But if he can come from up there, down here, then we can get from down here, up there. If he can come from up there, down here, then we can get from down here, up there. The good news of the gospel for ordinary people like me, for unworthy people like me, for average days like today is this, that Jesus is here. And if he has come from up there down here, we can make it back from down here to up there. How? By believing in him. By believing that you're ordinary. By believing that you're unworthy. By believing that on an average day like today, you can come to him and ask forgiveness. Recognize that the God of the Bible is a God who did not come to frown upon you and condemn, but who sent his son to forgive. the gospel of Christmas, the gospel of Christmas. Anyone who receives Jesus as their rescue capsule is brought from the depths to the surface, from darkness to light. This truth is what, of course, makes sense of the verses that follow very uh, briefly. Uh, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. A multitude of the heavenly host, literally an army of the heavenly host. I love this, that the angel is joined again, imagine the scene, by a whole host, by a whole army of other angels. And it's ironic that they come to announce peace, emphasizing that God has not come to bring judgment and terror. He has come to offer peace. Glory to God in the highest, they say. Because of this gospel... Glory to God in the highest, they say. I say, amen. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. What a God to design such a salvation for us. 
a God who wouldn't hold our sin against us, but welcome us into his presence through Jesus. And so on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace to you if you receive this gospel. If you receive Jesus as the forgiveness of your sins, peace is yours for eternity and for time. Peace be yours. God interrupts our lives this morning with a good word, a good word of great joy that is for us. It's a gospel that I need. It is a gospel that you need. You cannot make your way to God, but he has made his way to you. Receive him and celebrate this glorious offer that is given to you this Advent. Let's pray. Father, life is a funny thing, and as we look at the evidence of our lives, there is so many different pieces there, so many things that are good, so many things that are joyful, so many things that are worthy of celebration, and yet, Lord, there are so many things that are not so good, so many things that that bring us sorrow, so many things that bring us guilt, so many things that we regret. And Lord, we're unable to ignore those, turn away from those, and just live in the joy of the moment. These things stick with us. And it is because they do, Lord, because they are serious, that you have provided a Savior for us so that we can indeed be forgiven, full, and free. In the quietness of our hearts, Lord, we take a moment to reflect upon this great love and to respond to it by acknowledging, Lord, that it's me, it's us, who are these ordinary, unworthy people who need this gospel this day.